Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, listeners? Welcome to another episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip-hop and R&B news. My name is Ahmad, and I am your host. It is Sunday, November 21st, and I am very excited to be back for another week of Thinking Outside the Boombox. If you have been tuning into the podcast for the past few weeks, for the beginning of season four, the final season, you know that I am celebrating Hip Hop History Month here on the podcast. And what that means is every week in November, I have been releasing an episode that focuses on a single decade in hip hop's history. I've talked about the 70s. I've discussed the 80s. And in this week's Dig Deeper segment, I will be digging into the 90s the most important decade in hip-hop's history, so I'm excited to get into that later. Um, I'm going to give you a song of the week. I'm going to talk to you about some hip-hop and R&B news that has happened since last week's episode, but first, I want to make sure that you can interact with the podcast in the most efficient way, and that is by making sure that you have access to the podcast newsletter. The podcast newsletter features links to every single thing that I talk about in this episode. So if there's a music video that I mentioned that you want to go watch, you'll have the link at your disposal. You can sign up for the newsletter in two ways. Both of them require you to go to thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com. Right on that homepage, you enter your email address, and whenever an episode is released, you will get the podcast newsletter in your inbox. But if you don't want to be signed up to the mailing list, all you have to do is go to the, go to the newsletter tab at thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com and all of the podcast newsletters are listed there. So before I jump into the song of the week, I want to start the podcast off by saying rest in power to young Dolph. 
uh, Young Dolph was a rapper from Memphis um, who was shot this past week, shot and killed this past week. I never really listened to his music aside from a few features, um, but he was a pretty popular rapper. And from everything I've heard and read over the past week, he was a serious family man and he did a lot in his Memphis community. Unfortunately, his life was taken too soon. Similar to Nipsey Hussle, he was shot while he was in his own hood. And, you know, this is why a lot of these rappers don't go back home when they make it, when they succeed, because that jealousy will make people do crazy things. And especially in those trap genres, people want to test what you say in your music. You know what I mean? Um, so it's sad. Uh, prayers out to his family. Rest in power to him. So let's jump into the song of the week. So what I've been doing for the song of the week um, during this hip hop history celebration is I've been picking a an important date in hip hop's history for the decade that we're talking about, um, and then I've been finding an R and B song that was released around the same time as whatever I picked in hip hop. So for this week, the the important release that I wanted to highlight was Nas's Illmatic, one of the most legendary classic albums in hip-hop's history if i had to you know rank all of the incredible classics we got in the 90s nazi zomatic is up there like it's an incredible album it's a classic three four times over so that was released in, on april 18th of 1994 so i did my research went back in time and 10 days before Nas released Illmatic, Aaliyah released her debut single called Back and Forth. Um, so that is the song of the week for this week. Not only was this an incredible debut single, but it saw Aaliyah champion a sound that would inspire so many artists, old and new, including tons of artists from decades after her death. Ashanti, Drake, Sierra, Ella May, SZA, Tanache, Justine Skye, and so many more were inspired by Aaliyah's sound, Aaliyah's approach to music and her music itself. And this single back and forth was the start of that influential career. It's hip hop, it's R&B, it's pop, it's dance. It's a classic. The song of the week for this week is Back and Forth by Aaliyah. So let's jump into the press play segment. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. It is now time for the Press Play segment. This is where I update you on all the hip-hop and R&B news that has happened since last week's episode. Uh, the segment is separated into three parts. The things that you should check out, the rumor mill and the announcements, and the upcoming and recently released albums. So let's jump right into it. Things that you should check out. Um, so the ringer... Um, which is Bill Simmons, who used to work at ESPN. He's a sports personality. Um, the Ringer is now a successful uh, sports and pop culture machine and website um, and publication. And so Bill Simmons created a series with HBO called uh, one. I think it's called like Music Box or something like that. Um and basically, it's a six-part documentary series 
uh, about music. So I think there was a, a Woodstock one. There was an Alanis Morissette one about her album Jagged Little Pill. There's one about DMX on the way uh, next week. And there is a Juice World one. And I think there's like a Kenny G and maybe another one. So I watched the Alanis Morissette one during the week because um, I didn't have anything else to watch. And I'm, I don't even really listen to Alanis Morissette's music, but I'd heard, you know, the most popular songs. From her Jagged Little Pill album, everybody probably has their incredibly popular You Oughta Know, Ironic, you know, those songs. Um, And it was a very good documentary. And just like watching this one got me excited for the DMX one. Because when I heard the DMX one was coming out, I was just like, "Eh, okay, who knows if this will actually be good. But after seeing how they handled the Alanis Morissette one, it's like, okay, I think this will actually be a pretty good documentary. So they just released a trailer for the DMX one. It actually aired after the Alanis Morissette one. Um, but there's also a YouTube link. Um, so check all that out in the podcast newsletter. Uh, I have a lot of little Sims news for you. Um, and you'll be hearing a lot more about her at the end of the year because she dropped such an incredible album. But she was on Jimmy Kimmel where she had an incredible performance of her song Speed. It's one of the best songs on her um, damn, now I can't. Uh, sometimes I might be introvert album. Almost forgot the name of it. Um, she also released a short film for the song "I Love You, I Hate You," and there's also a music video for the song "I Love You, I Hate You." So she's showing off some acting chops in the short film, and then there's the actual music video that's dope as well. Uh, some new songs. Freddie Gibbs is uh, releasing a new album. I don't think it'll be coming out this year. Um, it's called Triple S. Um, and he released a new song and music video uh, called Black Illuminati, and it features Jadakiss. And yo, they rapping their ass off like it's it's a, it's an incredibly good song. Um, I've been listening to it on repeat, so definitely go check that out in the music video. Earl Sweatshirt dropped off a new song and music video. The song's called 2010. From what I hear, he's got an album coming out. The Alchemist, the producer, says it's incredible. Um, so maybe we'll get that next year. Saba, um, already said he's got a new album coming out. So he released a new single called Stop That. It's dope. Smino released a new, uh, song and music video called I Deserve. It's a a pretty dope little visual. So a lot of dope music videos from dope artists who will probably be releasing music within the next six months. Um, so check all of that out. Rumor Mill in the announcements, I was just talking about Smino. Uh, Smino just signed with Motown. So, you know, his new album will be distributed under a new label. He got a deal in partnership with his independent label, uh, Zero Fatigue, which he started in 2014. Um, He just felt at home. He had a good relationship with the, the VP and the CEO at Motown. And so that is now his new home. So shout out to Smino. Um... Saba, his few good things album, the follow up to Care, uh, Care for Me, uh, is going to be released February fourth, twenty twenty two. So Q one of next year, we get a new Saba album. So I'm excited about that. Some Drake news: Drake became the first artist in history to have two albums spend four hundred weeks on the Billboard two hundred. Take Care has already been on there for like maybe four hundred and fifty something, maybe four hundred sixty something weeks. And nothing was the same, just hit the 400 mark. So no artist ever has had two albums spend that much time on the Billboard 200. So it's crazy. 
more Drake news. Apparently, Drake and Kanye have squashed their beef. Uh, This is a convoluted story, but essentially, Jay Prince, who is this like scary dude that everybody in the hip hop community respects. I don't remember exactly why, but like, you know, he's got some, some ties, some connections. And so everybody pretty much listens when he has something to say. Jay Prince is the same dude that when Drake, after Pusha T uh, dissed him, Drake said he wrote that song that would have like destroyed Pusha T and Kanye's career and Jay Prince is the one that told him, nah, we ain't got to do it like that. Don't release that. So it's that dude. So he apparently was like, yo, Kanye, Drake, y'all need to squash the beef. Let's come together. Um, and apparently Larry Hoover Jr. is like, yo, Kanye and Drake come together to try and get my father out of prison. Like they're going to do a benefit concert uh, to help free uh, Larry Hoover does Larry Hoover deserve to be out of prison? You can do the research on that. Um, I feel like the answer is no. But <laughs> um, Larry Hoover Jr., rightfully so, is very much about, like, let's get Larry Hoover out of prison. So Drake and Kanye apparently squashed the beef. There was an Instagram story where they were together listening to, I'm pretty sure, a Drake song. So we'll see how long that lasts. How I feel about the reasons they're coming together is whatever i think from a music perspective it'll be good especially for drake to be able to release an album where he doesn't have to like defend himself or just like go on an onslaught against another artist like i think that will give drake a little bit more creativity back (laughs) to to focus on something else so for that reason uh i'm cool with it uh Speaking of Drake again, uh, Travis Scott, Drake, Live Nation, Apple, and more are facing a $2 billion lawsuit over what happened at Astroworld. I believe uh, it was a Travis Scott with, and Drake was out there with him uh, when, you know, the crowd crush happened that killed people and injured so many more. So there's like 280 something like plaintiffs that are like part of this lawsuit. Like it's not looking good for Travis and everyone involved. And honestly, what happens here is probably going to change the way live performances and festivals like this are run from now on. So this is like a a, a critical moment, I think, in the the music entertainment space. So I'm interested to see how all of this plays out and I will definitely keep you all posted. Uh, Wale announced a new tour called Under a Blue Moon. He's going to be hitting over 30 cities between January and March, starting in Nashville on January 12th. So check out the podcast newsletter to get uh, ticket information. Uh, Spotify finally launched synchronized lyrics. You know how if you're an Apple Music person, you know that you can hit a button and the lyrics will show up on the screen and they'll move with the song similar to how Shazam and like SoundHound does it. Uh, so Spotify has finally added that into their premium and free apps after partnering with Music Match. So that's dope. Uh, that's going to help them be more competitive. Tidal launches a free version of their app, giving access to their library, further cementing their competitive position. Um, Silk Sonic, Anderson Pac, and Bruno Mars, who released their, their album last week, uh, they launched a new Apple Music radio show called An Evening with Silk Sonic. So it's essentially they're going to host together a one-hour episode 
where uh, they're going to play some of their favorite music in R&B, hip-hop, funk, disco. And over four episodes, they're going to have special guests, conversations between the two of them. They had the inaugural episode. Uh, Bootsy Collins was with them. Uh, I listened to it. It was incredible. The The rapport between Bruno Mars and Anderson Pac is really good. So if you have Apple Music, uh, go to the radio section, and you should see... Uh, an evening with Silk Sonic on there, and the first episode's available. It's really good, and the music they played was good as well. Uh, Snoop Dogg has signed Benny the Butcher to Def Jam. I don't know if you knew. I just found this out this week, but Snoop Dogg was uh, hired or named as Def Jam's executive, creative, and strategic consultant. So in one of his first acts, uh, he signed Benny the Butcher from Griselda to Def Jam. So... Um, that's dope that Benny the Butcher now has a label and maybe that'll mean even big things for him in the future. Summer Walker did indeed get her first number one album, uh, with her still over it album. It did big numbers, uh, did a 166,000, you know, album units, um, it's her first number one record. It's the first number one R&B album by a woman since A Seat at the Table in 2016. Uh, it's the biggest week for an R&B album this year. The biggest um, week for an R&B album by a woman since Beyonce's Lemonade. It has the new record for the largest streaming week ever for an R&B album recorded by a woman. Uh, the second biggest for an R&B album in history. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. She she really broke some records for this album. That's like you know not incredible, but like still really good. Um, and I didn't I didn't think that she was doing numbers like that to break so many records. But I guess and not even I guess female R&B hasn't really been getting you know, the sales like that over the past half decade. And that's, that's wild. We've gotten so many female R&B albums, but you know, the numbers haven't been there to support it. So listen to more female R&B y'all. Like there's so many dope artists, so many dope artists putting out music. Um, and you know, I try to feature them as much as I can and I'll definitely have some featured in the best albums of the year. Uh, conversation at the in a in a few weeks but yeah listen to more female r&b because it's definitely dope uh what's next uh and then finally bone thugs and harmony will be doing a versus battle slash celebration against three six mafia on december 2nd so very soon upcoming and recently released albums kanye west released the deluxe edition of donda on November 14th, he added more songs, as if that album needed more songs. Isaiah Rashad released the day, the deluxe edition of The House is Burning called Homies Begged uh, this past Friday. He added four new songs, um, including a remix of R.I.P. Young with Project Pat and Juicy J. Uh, Kei Trinata released an EP called Intimidated. It's got three songs. It features Thundercat, uh, Her. Uh, Snoop Dogg released... An album called Algorithm. It's a 25-song project. It's his first release as Def Jam's executive, creative, and strategic consultant. Has so many features. Mary J. Blige, Ty Dolla Sign, Benny the Butcher. Um, and essentially, it was kind of like a, a label compilation with just like Snoop Dogg's friends. And I'm halfway through it, and it's a pretty dope album. So give it a listen. I think it's worth it. Uh, there's also... 
a soundtrack released for the Netflix movie Bruised by Halle Berry. Um, there's a soundtrack released, and all of the songs are done by women. So check that out. Um, December 10th, Alicia Keys drops off her double disc album Keys. Juice World, his next posthumous album, Fighting Demons, will be released, and Rick Ross will release his album, Richer Than I've Ever Been. Uh, so that is it for the Press Play segment. I'm going to take a short break, and then I will be right back with the Dig Deeper. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Segment. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. It is now time for the Dig Deeper segment. So, let's talk about the 90s. This is the third installment of the Hip Hop History Month celebration series, um, where each week I discuss a decade in hip hop's history, and this week we're talking about the 90s. It is overwhelming just how important the 90s are to the hip hop we see today and listen to today. 
It was a decade that spawned GOATs, artists still important to hip-hop today, and innovations that would further diversify the genre. Everything was new and there was so much to be learned, so this decade was full of rappers doing new things to advance the genre. If the 80s were when hip-hop developed a personality, the 90s were when that personality created bona fide superstars who would take hip-hop to new heights. I mentioned last week that the golden age of hip-hop is said to have started in the mid-80s, but it went all the way through to the mid-90s. So let's explore the 90s. So much happened in the 90s, so I'm going to try my best to get to the most important stuff, but obviously I won't get to it all. It was a jam-packed decade full of so many artists and so much music, but I'm going to try and and get the really most important stuff. So in the 80s, Gangsta Rap was born and it saw commercial success when N.W.A. dropped straight out of Compton, right? I talked about that last week. But before Gangsta Rap became the powerhouse it would become, it did face some obstacles. Black radio stations wouldn't play hip-hop in general unless it was over like a new Jack Swing beat because advertisers weren't fucking with hip-hop. Clubs weren't letting a lot of acts perform because of the crowds they attracted. The climate got political with rap lyrics under attack and the black and white parental advisory sticker was placed on the first album in 1990. And some stores wouldn't even carry an album if it had that sticker on it. But the talent on display... And the demand for this new brand of music began to outweigh all of that, especially as white fans clamored for more gangster rap. That was just the tip of the iceberg because gangster rap took off and became hip hop's main event. Most of the 90s saw regional splits as different areas of the United States claimed that they were making the best hip hop. And you can't talk about gangster rap in the 90s and not talk about the West Coast. N.W.A.'s incredible success with Straight Outta Compton did not stop there. Their second album, Niggas for Life, became the first gangster rap album and the first album by a rap group to top the Billboard 200. Ice Cube had already left N.W.A. in 1989, but his solo albums and the founding of Death Row Records by Dr. Dre and Suge Knight kept gangster rap at the top of the charts. Ice Cube released five albums in the 90s, and all of them were considered commercial successes, and a couple of those are certified classics. Death Row launched the solo careers of Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Nate Dogg, and so many more. But the 90s gave us albums like The Chronic, Doggy Style, All Eyes on Me. These are legendary albums. Labels saw the money on the table with gangster rap, and they pushed the subgenre and its artists to the moon. And it didn't hurt that these artists were superstars in the making. They also created G-Funk, which was a subgenre of gangster rap that sampled funk songs and records and turned them into commercially appealing, entertaining gangster rap songs. It was a cash cow that dominated the charts. So you can already see that New York and the East Coast weren't the only ones holding it down. Um, In the 70s and the 80s, like really most of the the popular hip-hop was coming out of new york um but the early 90s absolutely belonged to the west coast as hip-hop started to become a national superpower but the east coast didn't concede that easily a grittier type of hip-hop hardcore hip-hop and rap that idolized mafia and mob bosses began to emanate from the east there are too many artists to name but Nas, Mob Deep, DMX, Big Pun, Big L, The Locks, Diddy and Bad Boy, Wu-Tang Clan, Jay-Z, and most importantly, Biggie, dominated East Coast hip-hop, and they became stars. 
the West East Coast rivalry was the hottest thing about hip hop in the 90s. West Coast artists felt they were being overlooked, dismissed for the East Coast, and that's how the rivalry started. But as Biggie and Tupac rose to the top as the biggest stars of each coast in the early 90s, things got personal and violent. And by 1997, both Tupac and Biggie had been shot and killed. The death of Biggie and Tupac created a wave of lasting effects that are still present today and changed hip-hop forever. Death Row Records crumbled as the artists that remained went their separate ways. And with all the media attention focused on hip-hop after Tupac and Biggie's death, Diddy and Bad Boy rose to the top as the latest innovators. Hip-hop looked to move away from gangster rap and a genre and a rivalry that caused the death of two icons, so a new type of hip-hop was born. Call it the bling era, or whatever you want to call it, but the sound became more commercial. The hooks and production were leaning towards R&B as inspiration. They were smoother. The lyrics became more materialistic. The production sampled well-known soul and pop songs, making hip-hop even more commercially viable and appealing. And we'll get to this next week. But think of how commercial hip-hop in the 2000s was. That was a direct result of the active decision to take hip-hop down a new path. Diddy and Bad Boy are credited with leading this charge, and this created a path that Jay-Z would immediately utilize in the 90s. But Master P and No Limit Records also contributed and benefited from this. No Limit Records was founded in the early 90s and enjoyed... A lot of success in the late 90s with Master P and Mystical at the head of the label and also with Snoop Dogg signing with them after he left Death Row. And that brings me to the next important thing about the 90s. It wasn't just the West Coast and the East Coast making moves. The iconic Source Awards of 95 happened at Madison Square Garden And it was a night that exploded that West Coast, East Coast beef. Tupac had been shot and was in jail. This was when he got shot the first time before he was shot and killed. Bad Boy was starting to run shit in the East. And so Suge Knight added gas to the flames. He made fun of Diddy on stage at the Source Awards. Snoop Dogg famously asked if the East Coast had love for Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre to a chorus of boos. It was an insane night. But this was also the night when Andre 3000 and Outkast declared that the South had something to say. Other regions in the U.S. began to create their own sounds and styles and stars that would add new players to this competition. Outkast released their first three albums in the 90s. Cash Money was founded and the Hot Boys would begin their rise with Lil Wayne, Juvenile, Scarface, UGK, 3-6 Mafia, Goody Mob, all representing the South. Chopped and screwed music came started to come out of Houston. The Midwest began to produce artists like Common, Twista, and Bone Thugs and Harmony. Tech Nine and Eminem snuck in there in the late 90s as well. Hip-hop was planting its roots all over the country. Besides the arrival of Chopped and Screwed, G-Funk, and hardcore hip-hop, the genre further diversified with jazz rap. Rap that used jazz samples, used instrumentation with jazz influences for the production, with lyrics trending toward like spoken word, poetry, Afrocentric lyrics. In the 90s, the native tongues were the main sources of jazz rap, with A Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul taking the reins. The Roots would also release their first four albums in the 90s and would soon become a global powerhouse with big instrumentation and jazzy influences. Jazz rap would continue to expand the scope of hip-hop, and inspire many artists in the next decade. 
as alternative rap would start to grow as numerous influences crept into hip-hop, the Fugees arose as one of the definitive alternative rap groups of the decade. They delivered one of the best-selling records of all time and solidified themselves as an all-time group as they broke into the mainstream with socially conscious rap. Now, also in the 90s, despite the rampant misogyny that was now inherent in hip-hop music, especially after gangster rap's reign at the top, Many female rappers would rise in the 90s. Little Kim became the raunchiest woman in hip-hop, setting trends with her explicit lyrics. Lauryn Hill left the Fugees and delivered a classic debut. Missy Elliott redefined hip-hop and R&B with her first two albums. Foxy Brown, MC Light, DeBrat, Queen Latifah continued her reign, and more. As female MCs proved that hip-hop wasn't just a male sport. But at the same time, it wasn't an easy road. The new raunchy image from artists like Foxy Brown and Kim, was questioned as to whether it was female empowerment or performing for the male gaze. For a genre whose success was due to many powerful women behind the scenes since the beginning, Sylvia Robinson created the first recorded song with Sugar Hill Gang. Monica Lynch ran Tommy Boy Records, who signed Wu-Tang Clan. Faith Newman signed Nas. But hip-hop began to mirror how women were treated in society at large. And that's capable, but largely overlooked and discriminated against. So, you know, the 90s was all about making hip hop or hip hop becoming more commercial than it was starting to become in the late 80s. And you can't speak on hip hop's road to commercialization and mainstream success without mentioning MC Hammer in the 90s. He's considered to be rap's first mainstream rapper and one of the first household names of rap. He released three albums in the 90s with his album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, which was led by the single You Can't Touch This. It became one of the best-selling rap albums ever. It was the first rap album to be certified diamond, so 10 million units sold. And I remember when I first started the podcast, I was doing a segment called the Back in the Day segment. And one of the things I was doing was whatever the week It was so like, for instance, it's Sunday, November 21st. I would look uh, at Sunday, November 21st in like certain years and see what hip hop and R&B albums uh, were number one on the charts. And for the longest time, every week when I did an episode, MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him album was number one because it stayed on the charts for like 20 to 30 weeks. Like it is really one of the most successful hip hop albums ever. MC Hammer got multi-million dollar shoe deals. He was in ads and commercials everywhere. His music sampled popular pop music and he became a pop star in his own right, broadening hip hop's reach. This wasn't always appreciated by fellow rappers, but that's a conversation that you can still see in the foundations of a Kendrick Lamar and a Drake debate today. Artists like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice, quote unquote, sold out and opened the doors for artists to rise to the hop of to the top of hip hop in many different ways. The 90s were also when hip hop sampling practices would stabilize into what we see today. In 1991, Biz Marquis and Warner Brothers were sued by an Irish singer named Gilbert O'Sullivan because Biz used his song alone again without his permission. This was the first sampling case to go before a judge. Most of these had settled out of court before this. The court ruled in Gilbert's favor, declared that sampling without permission was copyright infringement and now not allowed. 
The immediate impact was that less sampling took place in albums because clearance fees were so high and artists and producers producers adapted by interpolating rather than sampling. So what does that mean? Essentially, they would uh, they would have uh, sorry musicians remake the sample instrumentation and then they would use that version and just pay the songwriter for the lyrics rather than having to pay the label and the like original artists. And these are practices that are still in effect and copyright infringement cases pop up all the time nowadays. So shout out to Biz Marquis who recently passed RIP for being a pioneer. Like the 90s was the decade when hip hop blew the fuck up. There were artists making music all over the country, and by 1999, it was the best-selling genre in music. Superstars were being born left and right, and so were classic albums. Just think about how many classics came out in the 90s alone. The innovation was endless. You got Nas's Illmatic, Reasonable Doubt by Jay-Z, The Chronic by Dr. Dre, The Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest, Ready to Die by Biggie, All Eyes on Me by Tupac, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers by Wu-Tang Clan, Only Built for Cuban Links by Raekwon, AT Aliens and Equimini by Outkast, Doggy Style by Snoop. I could literally name like 50 more albums and more than that. The 90s defined hip hop. We still talk about these albums almost 30 years later, and you can't really say the same about a lot of the albums that came out in the 70s and the 80s. So next week, I'll be talking about the 2000s to wrap up uh, this hip hop history uh, series. And the 2000s would center around hip hop's continued commercialization, this time with a more appealing R&B inspired sound. And it would see the immediate rise of alternative hip hop. And we'd even see hip hop bleed even more into pop music. But there is absolutely no decade like the 90s where we received classic after classic And, you know, a West Coast, East Coast rivalry exploded that created superstars and and icons. But then also uh, the tragedy that happened with Tupac and Biggie pushed hip hop into new spaces. So the 90s was crazy. Um, I had a lot of fun doing doing the research for this week. So that is it for the Dig Deeper segment Um, in this week's episode next week. November 28th, um, I will come back with the final episode in the Hip Hop History Month Celebration series, where I'll be talking about the 2000s decade. Um, Then I believe I'm taking a week off, and then the following week I'll be back with my top 50 songs of 2021. So we're getting into, into that time period. I'm very excited. Uh, so you already know what it is. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find me at TOTB, the podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The website is thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com. You already know what it is. It's Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip-hop and R&B news. Peace.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.